In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Join me, Dr. Karen Kambule, as we pursue the Word, the Lord Jesus, searching scriptures to find solutions to life's issues. Welcome to Word Anchor Podcast. Download and share with your friends and your family. Stay blessed. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Word Anchor Podcast. We are still looking at the lessons from the book of Daniel. And this episode is titled, Meeting God in the Fire. We have learned in the past that the enemy separates the people of God from God. And whereas God expects us to be separate from the world, to be distinguished, to be different. Also that even when the enemy launches an attack on us, God still uses us even if we perceive ourselves to be defeated. Even in the sorriest state, God still uses us. Some people have preached up a storm on their deathbed. At the time when they were facing death, there was still a message. God still wanted to use them. Some people's testimonies of pain and sorrow is a testimony that brings life to other people. So your situation, your fire, your pain could be something that could be helpful to somebody else. My father-in-law kept telling people around him to repent shortly before he departed from a short illness. He was sharing this message, not sick at that time, but a lot of people remember that he kept on telling people, repent, ask God for forgiveness for your sins. And then he left. He is remembered for this, his last assignment. Daily, we are faced with choices. We can make good choices or bad ones. Our conviction determines our response to the demand for a choice to be made. Our principles are the basis for our convictions. You either stand firm on your convictions or compromise when faced with a situation. Fire will reveal who you are and where your loyalties lie. Fire will tell us whether or not you truly believe God. Or you don't. Will you do what is right, even if it may cost you your life? Or God will understand, as some will say. I remember when I went to university, I was 16 years old. I turned 17 already there, as my birthday is in June. I was very young, coming from a protective and very religious family. I had been brought up and taught the word of God, and even went out to share the good news. Varsity was, however, a new ball game for me. I was used to going to town with my parents only by car. I was used to being in the company of girls from church, never really been exposed to nightclubs, never attended a festival. Basically, I was never exposed to the world out there. I remember drinking liquor twice when visiting relatives far from home. It was also still a fairly protected environment. So varsity exposed me to independence I never knew. There was no one to remind me what God says in his word. There was no one to tell me to go to class. There were no parents to obey, so Ephesians 6 for me was um, put aside. It is a good thing that I am an introvert. So though I went out offline a few times, my personality drew me back. The opportunities were there in abundance. There is no one to ask you when you come back at 3 a.m., Why did you come back so late? There is no one to remind you to go study. There's no one to remind you to go to church. You are on your own or with God. That is if you remember him, of course. Now, in this episode, we are looking at a story of a generation that was uncompromising in a wicked world with a faithful God. 
they were prepared to go and meet with God right in the fire. What choices do you make when you're out of sight from your support structure or your accountability circle? If your mother and father is not there, what is it that you do? When your pastor is not around, what is it that you do? In your choices, what do you do if the right choice will expose you to danger? Will you choose God even if it means going into the fire? Will you choose God even if it will cost you? Will God come through for you? Do you believe that, child of God? What do you do when you are far from your circle of influence, your parents, your friends, your pastor, your fellow church members? The book of Daniel presents a sovereign God in all its chapters, the one who rules in his chosen nation and in all the nations of the world. Even those who do not know him nor acknowledge him as God, he still goes in there and does what he wills. Chapter 3 in the book of Daniel tells us of a story of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, also known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were young men that were taken captive in a foreign land. In chapter 1, the captivity is recorded, and their choices not to defile themselves with the food served by the king, the delicacies and the wine, which they would not defile themselves with, is also recorded. For this act of faith, God rewarded them with gifts, wisdom, and to Daniel, he added understanding and interpretation of dreams and visions. These young men were accepted by the king after their time of preparation was over. They were appointed to positions in the kingdom of God, high positions, and they began their service. Now, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, this was a king that had conquered many nations and formed a powerful kingdom. In chapter 2, he had a dream which Daniel interpreted as depicting his kingdom as a powerful kingdom in a statue, which would be followed by less powerful kingdoms and rulers. So Nebuchadnezzar decided to bring alive his dreams through a visual presentation of the statue of gold. He got so puffed up about his political conquests in his vast kingdom that he gave a command that a whole nation would bow to the statue and worship it. He had just become too big for his own good. So he had placed the Hebrews over the affairs of the three provinces. These three young men had distinguished themselves and separated themselves from the unclean food. They would similarly distinguish themselves in discharging their duties. So if they could be faithful to God on a matter of food, they surely would be faithful on other matters. They were in a foreign land, far from the temple, from the priest, from the prophets, and probably even their parents. They had no accountability circle except the other young Jewish people also held captive. The people of God ought to be faithful at all times, even when you find yourself in a situation like this young man, even when you are far from those of the same faith. It is what you do when nobody is around to see you that shows your faithfulness to God. Being far from home gave me and still gives every student an opportunity to be faithful even when the parents are not around. Being at home as a believer gives you an opportunity to be faithful to God even when the pastor and other believers are not around. At the office, some people may want you to be as dishonest as they are. People are corrupt out there, good people, and to them it is not even a big deal. When you work with people and will not take a bribe, you are a threat to the group. They will not trust that you will not tell on their corrupt activities. So they may also need you to do some underhand actions to allow their corrupt activities as well. What do you do in an environment that is corrupt and that is normal and no one will judge you if you do? They were far from Jerusalem. 
there was no gathering for Sabbath at the temple. No one would have noticed anything untoward. Everyone else was worshipping the image. What was the big deal anyway? The young men were faithful with food. They were a threat to other people who would want others to be as dishonest as they were. It did not take long for the others to despise this young man and to seek to bring them down. And this came quickly from the following instruction from the king. It said, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Daniel chapter 3 verse 4 to 6. Now their rivals saw an opportunity when the king issued the directive that everyone was to worship the statue that he had made of himself. The Jews would not bow. They only serve one God. They bow to no other God even in a foreign land. So to the Jews, it was normal for them not to bow to any other God, whether in Jerusalem or in Babylon, whether the priest was around or those who serve in the temple, they would still not bow. And the king was informed and he called them in. He gave them an opportunity to change their minds and bow. They were high-ranking officials. He would not just issue out judgment. Now here is a mistake that Nebuchadnezzar made. He thought that since he had defeated the Hebrews and took them captive, then he was bigger than their God. He thought nothing much of this God who led his people to be taken captive. What kind of God anyway is this one? What power does he have? I took his people from their own homeland and he was there right in their temple. I took them. Even the items that were in the temple, he took some of those. Now, to him, God was a non-issue. You see, child of God, a believer's responsibility is more than believing for salvation and going to heaven. We serve a very powerful God that other people do not know and may even think nothing much of him. But time and again, there are opportunities that were given where one has to draw the line and defend the gospel. When the king said these words, if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? He was asking, who is the God who will deliver you? out of my hands. Are you not captives here? Are you not in trouble already? Where is your God when I have afflicted you and taken you captive? Where is your God when you are sick today? Where is your God when you have given your tithes and offerings and you still are in trouble financially? Where is your God when you have shown love to your neighbor and your neighbors hate you? Where is your God when you can't get a job? Which God will deliver you from this affliction? That is like the devil asking you today. Situations we face are witnessing against our God. They are saying our God is incapable of saving us. Sickness is their God all the time. Poverty dares God all the time. Who is the God that will save you? Who is the God that will heal you? Who is the God that will take you out of the financial situation you are facing? When you are desperate, when you are so desperate for a job, and someone says, pay for the job or sleep with me for the job. They are daring the God that you serve. Who will give you the job if you do not pay? You have been unemployed for so long. What makes you think that you deserve the job over so many people that have also applied? What makes you so different? Who is this God that will save you and give you a job? 
How can God who failed to defend you in Jerusalem, your home ground, and let you be defeated and taken captive, now turn and defend you from my hands? That was the thought process of Nebuchadnezzar. Child of God, never give up on God or turn away from God in the face of persecution. Never let the enemy think that he has won simply because he has afflicted you. Never give up on God's power to deliver you. God wants you to stand there firm in faith, believing that he is God even when you are in your worst situation. I've been in situations where other people had solutions that they thought would help me when I was in trouble. In some instances, it seemed harmless on face value. Some even came disguised as the real thing. I refused to be drawn to places with strange fires. I was desperate for the move of God to give me victory, but the strange fires were not for me. Do not bow, child of God. If you see that this is a strange fire, even if it brings light, even if it brings warmth, go far away from it. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah looked the king in the eye and told him they would not bow. They knew the penalty was death by being bent in a fiery furnace. They had come to the point of life or death. They did not love their lives even unto death. They loved and served God even if it meant death for them. In Daniel chapter 3 verse 17 to 18 it's recorded that they responded to the king. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. What an answer, praise the Lord. The pain of captivity was nothing compared to the burning alive in a furnace heated seven times. Fire is a horrible way to die. Not that there is an easier way, save for closing your eyes and sleeping. I wonder if this young man thought about the pain. They had no historical reference of being saved from death in this manner. In fact, they were the first to face a situation that would normally kill a person and they lived. Daniel followed with the lion's den experience, but you can try and explain the lion's response. You could at length find an excuse why the lions did not eat Daniel, but you cannot explain why fire, an element that has no life, nor does it think, at least animals think, they make a plan of how to eat their prey, but this fire could not kill them. Fire rages as long as there is something it can attach itself to. It bends. But this fire was a different one. Her faith in God. The young men believed that God was able to save them. It could rain or the king could die before the execution of the order. But chances of that were slim. Perhaps the rain could stop the fire. But they believed God was able to. How? It did not matter. They committed God to it. God will deliver us, they said. We know he is able, but we also know he will. And we also know that even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow. They did not ask God and heard him saying that he will save them. This is the same God that landed them there in the first place in Babylon. They simply did not blame God for it. Otherwise, they would not believe he would save them. If you believe that God has given you cancer, it will be very difficult for you to go to God and say, Father, heal me from this cancer. If you believe God has given you financial trouble, it will be very difficult for you to go to God and say, God, give me money. But if you believe that God is a good God, when something that is totally opposite from what God presents or represents, you will be able to go to God and say, Father, this does not sound like you. This does not seem like it is you. Then you'll trust God. We need to be a people of faith, 
a people that trust God. Nebuchadnezzar had only known God as a revealer of things through the interpretation of dreams and visions. This was an opportunity for him to know God as a powerful one. This king had already seen himself more powerful than the people of God. Perhaps this God was not as powerful as they thought. He could not defend his own people in their own backyard. How could he defend these ones in his backyard? So he asked, And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? These are words coming from the one who views himself as all-powerful. He had conquered nations. He had killed their kings, taken their people captive. And all this time, their gods were sleeping. But not the God of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Three young men who had nothing but God defied the king who had everything but God. They told him, we will not bow. God is able to save us. God will save us. And even if he doesn't, we will still not bow. They were prepared to die than to bow to any other God. Many bow today to the pressures of life. They look for shortcuts. To avoid poverty, some will kill, bribe, and slip their way to jobs and businesses. To avoid death, some go to mediums and false prophets. People are desperate. That is true. They need solutions. People are crying. God is able to save me, but they are not sure if he will. People that believe in God, but the challenge is so great before them that without immediate divine intervention, they do not see a way out and Satan is right there telling them what is their option. They end up falling. Jesus was given an option before his arrest and crucifixion. Death was imminent, a painful death for that matter. It was bound to happen unless he bowed to the devil. Jesus chose to die, literally, and we today have the benefit of his painful death. The three young men were thrown into the fire, everyone looking, expecting to hear their cries, perhaps the smell of their flesh and bones burning to ashes. There was no sound, no cries, no smell, just fire raging. Then the unthinkable, they saw the three young men walking in the furnace. You would not walk inside a fire. You'll probably roll down, cry, scream, kick, do whatever you can do to try and make yourself feel better or to get out of the fire. The king looked. He saw a fourth person in there. Counting to three is very easy as one, two, three. Four is very odd when you've thrown in three people. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Daniel chapter 3, verse 24 to 25. His eyes were not playing a trick on him. There were four men in there. The fourth man waited for his servants in the fire. The king who destroyed Jerusalem and who killed thousands of her inhabitants, was unable to kill three Hebrew men, even though they were in Babylon, his own backyard. The God who did not save his people in Jerusalem was waiting for three young men right in the fire. Praise be to God. Whilst you wait for God, child of God, to rescue you from the impending doom, he might just be waiting for you on the other side. He might just want to use your challenge to display his power. He might just want to teach the enemy a lesson. You might just be the instrument God will use to deal with the enemy. Now, no boxer wins a trophy without getting into the ring. God did not just choose any Hebrew. He chose those that had already given up on delicacies to be loyal and obedient to him. They gave up the little nice things they could have 
God will not use a compromising one for a great assignment. The head of the serpent must be crushed by those who are prepared to expose their heel. The thought of your heel being bruised might be scary, but the thought of God giving you victory must resound much even more. Am I calling us to embrace troubles? No. Troubles do come, whether you prepare yourself or not. But glory be to Jesus if they come and find you prepared to take a stand against them. Like arrows in God's quiver, be there when God wants to use you to attack the enemy. Nebuchadnezzar got to see a miracle before his eyes. God is in control. When people turn against you and plot your downfall, he is still in control. God is in control when they put you through the fire. The great thing about this story is that the people who put the young Hebrews into the fire died even before getting inside, just by being close to the entrance of the furnace. Some people would dare try to afflict the people of God, and they do not know that things can turn. Haman ended up in his own gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. God has done this before, over and over again. He will deliver his people, and those that afflict his people will take the punishment. Some of the deepest conversations with God will happen when you are at your most painful experience, right when you have nowhere to go, in your desperation, in your deepest trouble, in your most painful pain. That's the place where God will find you and converse with you. We cry the most tears when you are in trouble. We call the name of God the most when we are in trouble. The mistake we make is thinking that God, for some reason, does not know what we are going through. The worst is thinking that he does not care. Remember the disciples of Jesus, they asked, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Yet the Lord was right there with them. He did say to us, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Therefore you can trust him that right there in the fire he is there with you. He knows the fire before it even comes. He knows the reason for the fire, and he knows how he's going to get you out of it. The three Hebrew boys went into the fire knowing that God is able to save them. Trust in God's ability, child of God. They also knew that he will save them, have faith in God. And they also decided that even if he didn't, they would still not bow, total surrender to God. Child of God, God will find you in the fire. The fire will come, but God will be there. And God will rise up for you in the most powerful way. You will have that testimony, child of God. Right in the middle of your trouble, God will be there. When you need that money, God will be there. When you think you're going to sleep without eating food, food will be made available for you. When you think that this month I'm not going to be able to pay my bills, God will make sure that somebody comes through for you. God will send help. The ravens fed the servant of God, Elijah. The widow fed the servant of God, Elijah. You are a child of God. You are a servant of the Most High God. Even if the fire rages, widely so. Even if the troubles seem that they are going to overcome you, they are going to overpower you. The word of God says to us, even when you walk through the value, he will be there. Even if you go through the fire, it will not scorch you. Even if you go through the raging sea, the waters, they will never overwhelm you because God is there with you and he is in control. May you have the peace of God right in the midst of the fire. God wants to converse with you right in the fire. God wants to speak with you. He wants to have a conversation with you. In the fire, go there. Do not be afraid of the fire. God is with you. Shalom. Thank you for listening 
to the Word Anchor Podcast. To get copies of my books, The Bride of Jesus, Dear Girl Child, Confessions of a Parent, Victorious Youth, and From the Pit to the Palace, go to Amazon.com. You can buy a hard copy or a Kindle edition. Remember to check out the show notes. Connect with me on social media platforms. Give feedback and continue to spread the word. Tune in for the next episode and make the word of God your anchor.